Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Beth Mantle, Tim Foss, and Mickey Turner. Uh, Sounders are coming off a... Uh, I would say a, a feel-good performance, uh, and that's probably putting it very lightly. But uh, what did you all think of of that six-two win over the Portland Timbers? Oh, just opening it up there, jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I would say uh, on the on the list of Portland Sounders games, which had a favorable outcome for uh, for Sounders fans. Boy, that seems to be at least in the top two for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say you know in the MLS era. So let's sure. Let's, well, hey, I, let's be real. I don't think any of us really have much much to say <laughs> about the pre-MLS era when it comes to Sounders Timbers. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I was tr- kind of going back and forth between obviously the four-four uh, Dempsey hat trick and the four-two uh, victory. Uh, uh, I think it was like twenty. I think it was twenty fourteen. Uh, yeah, it must have been twenty. That was twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Uh, I was at that game. I was not at the four four game, um, and so or four two game. Yeah, I was not at the four four game. So I would say, you know, for me, you know, just a, based on personal experience, this one probably tops the list. But I can understand why people would go with the four four game just for kind of the dramatics uh, of of coming back. Uh, but yeah, just overall, kind of a bird's eye view was obviously an incredible game to be at. Um, what I what was really good, uh, it was obviously a sold-out stadium, and the crowd was just you know, raucous for pretty much the entire game, essentially until the Sounders kind of killed it off. Uh, at that point, it was basically just ECS that you heard. Uh, but you know, before that, it was just a classic you know, rivalry, derby match, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the crowd was you know, going back and forth. The players on the field were, you know, Marufo, the referee, was basically letting everything go. Uh, yes so it was basically like a heavyweight fight uh and it was just incredible to kind of to witness in person yeah i mean i thought especially in the first half marufo was very very reluctant to blow his whistle you know i think the timbers probably had a couple reasonable penalty shouts uh you know there was one i think it was like the 17th minute where brad smith looked like he whiffed on a on a and i I assume what the call was was that the ball was already gone and uh, the attacker had essentially missed his chance. Uh, but Smith basically swung and missed and, and took down the, I don't know who it was, took down the attacker at the edge of the box. And it felt like one of those things where you wouldn't be shocked to see it called in a lot of situations, but there were plenty. I mean, it was, it was kind of indicative of the way the game had been called even up to that point, which was just like a lot of challenges going un unwhistled. Uh, and it was, you know, all, all in all, I think, it, he he called it evenly both ways. I think you know he was just kind of letting it play, but 
Beth, what was your what was your sense of of how this game ranks in terms of Sounders Timbers? Um, I remember I was at a church picnic for the four four game. Um, I think that was like my first. It was like one of the one of the earlier Sounders matches that I had followed. And so I stole my mom's phone and I was like live streaming it at this church picnic. Um, And so that was pretty thrilling, but I think this one tops it, especially just like getting to tweet the chaos. I did not, that was unbelievable. Like that's not something that happens. So, so Tim, when, when, I don't know about you, but like to me, there was always this sense of foreboding. They went up 2-0, but it felt very much against the run of play. They pulled one back almost immediately after going down 2-0. And it really, from, from especially from Montero's second goal up until the equalizer, I thought it was all Timbers. And they were, you know, the, the Sounders were having a hell of a time getting the ball in the midfield, like controlling the ball at all in the midfield. They were not getting any space. It's actually still kind of amazing to me that they were able to pull those two goals out because it didn't feel like they were really even getting into the attack that much. But... What's going through your head when they when they give up that equalizer at two two? You know, I I wrote about it in the recap for the blog, and I really felt like the Sounders were pretty fortunate to have a lead going into halftime. They definitely hadn't had the most chances or even the best chances, but Freddie Montero made the most of the chances he did get. Um, and it sort of felt inevitable that the Timbers were going to get one back was pretty stressed at halftime. I figure, you know, there's always a chance, especially with Brian Schmetzer in charge. He has the ability to give a halftime talk that fully changes the way the rest of the game goes. And they came out and Portland tied it up and it was sort of like, well, I mean, I guess there's still a chance, but this is going to be a really frustrating game to have to write about from this point. And then, I mean, it really, it's funny the number of just unbelievable goals in this one where it really felt like numerous players on the Sounders were like, Oh no, this isn't happening. We're not, we're not doing that today. And especially, I mean, the team just played so much different with Nico Lodero on the field you, if you don't watch him for an extended period of time, you, it turns out can forget how much running he does, how much ground he covers and just the general quality that he brings to the team. Like the, the way that he and the guys around him were playing one touch passes and moving, just flowing through the Timbers defense. Like it wasn't, constantly that but there certainly were more moments of that and when there were they were just nicer to watch with him in the field um and once once they got the third goal it really was like oh there's no looking back at this point this is over yeah i would say the final 35 minutes was all sounders and you know it was i just i was just re-watching the game today and what's kind of remarkable is that Literally, they showed video of smoke billowing out of the Timbers army as Freddie Montero plays that ball to Rui Diaz. He draws the foul, gives scores scores on the on the ensuing free kick. And it was just a reminder that it was like almost as soon, like basically as soon as the ball went back into play, 
the Sounders came back and scored. And and I'll say an under maybe an underrated, under overlooked aspect of that free kick is this the danger that Ladero poses just by being on the field. And he and and Rui Diaz are both kind of talking about who's going to take it. And I don't know how much that really plays into it, but I think it's notable that Rui Diaz's free kick essentially just goes on a beeline over the head of the far, you know, the, the far left uh, person on the wall. And you have to imagine that Ladero being on the field forces that wall to take at least like one step to the right in order to kind of protect against, you know, that sort of uh, in swinging, in swinging free kick. And, you know, and it's, that's, it's those little things that I think that end up making the difference with Ladero being on the field and being able to pose that sort of danger uh, you know, and and from there it was really. I thought it really was all Sounders. Uh, Ladero's free kick obviously ends up setting up Ruidia's second goal, which didn't come until 15 or 17 minutes later. But even by then, it felt like the Sounders had already sort of gotten control of the game. And then Madranda gets that insane volley, and of course uh, Benazé finishes it off of the six goal Sunday, as I as I as I deemed it in my story. But it was, you know, it was. It was not a dominating performance, but in some ways, I think that was even more encouraging because it's, you know, like we've been saying all year, the Sounders, as well as they've been playing, there's undeniable room for improvement. And, you know, here they are, they're, you know, second in the West, one point behind Sporting Kansas City. I don't know. I'm I'm not really looking at the Supporter Shield race that closely right now. I feel like the Sounders sort of blew their chance by only getting one point out of out of nine during that recent homestand, but they're still very much in the in the waste for the West. And in fact, they needed this win really to, to stay up there. But I mean, this team could get better. It should get better. You know, Ladero's gonna play more, knew who's gonna come back, Fry's gonna come back. Hell, I think even Madranda and Atencio offer higher ceilings than than you know players that started in this game. I don't know what are you am I am I am I out am I out over my skis on this or is this is this is this kind of the feeling? That's kind of the feeling I have. Uh, you know, when they got the one point out of the, uh, the nine possible, uh, you know, this last little trip. Yeah, you're right. It kind of, you start looking away from the supporter shield and just, you know, hoping that they stay uh, a pace with the Western conference. And you're right. They really did need this win based on the results. I mean, there's what, uh, you know, 15 games left or so, give or take. Uh, so clearly they're not in any dire straits as far as seating or anything like that like that's concerned but still you had you get one point and then you're on the road for three games you know it was not hard to envision that they come out of this stretch in fourth fourth place uh and then you're starting to you know worry about you know getting home field advantage a little bit so they really did need this win um and yeah like you I'm kind of I'm putting the supporter shield aside for the moment unless they manage to get all nine points on this trip uh, or the remaining six, then yeah, maybe you start to uh, to hope that they they get back into it. But aside from that, yeah, they're just there's a general uh, room for improvement. As, and Smetra said after the game that you know he kind of now can see what his team is going to look like when they uh, come down the stretch here. Now that they are getting everyone 
back healthy. So you, he was kind of, you know, obviously the first part of the year is to kind of assess how the team plays with the new formation. And so you're never going to know fully what you've got, um, especially when injuries come to play. But now that everyone's coming back, you can kind of, you know, set up the, the tactics you'd like. You can set up the formation you like. You've got the players that you want to kind of and manage through the congestion that's coming. And yeah, but at the end of this, uh, at the end of August, assuming that Fry and Nuhu are back, then yeah, you've got all of your pieces save Jordan Morris uh, and uh, their uh, latest signing, obviously, uh, ready to go uh, for the stretch drive. And yeah, you could see them, um, especially if they are um, able to get uh, a couple of good results here, uh, um, kind of just firing off as they tend to do at this time of year. Yeah, it, it, and just as a, as a bit of a reminder, I had to do this for myself, but six points separates first from fourth place in the West right now. Uh, and, and the Rapids, who are in fourth place, have two games in hand on all three of the Sounders, Galaxy, and, and Sporting Kansas City. Now, the flip side to that is that they're going to have a lot more fixture congestion down the stretch, uh, or I guess maybe not any more than the Sounders do necessarily. But that, that's another reason why I kind of like roll my eyes at this idea that the League's Cup is somehow a detriment to the Sounders because they have two extra games. And it's like, well, they have the same number of games as the Rapids do now. Uh, but even then, you know, the Sounders have like... There was a stat that Paul Kennedy from Soccer America put out that said that the Sounders had two game weeks basically every week for the rest of the season. Next week, they don't have a two game week. <laughs> like, they didn't have to look too far ahead in the schedule to, to find a week. And then they have like 11 days off for the, for the international break, uh, after like before the next round of League's Cup. So it's let's cool our jets on like just how insanely packed the center schedule is. But, uh, I actually, I came away feeling like the Tigers game was hugely important. And I think that, you know, it was an, an interesting thing. I'm going to steal from Wade Weber. He said this in the post-game press conference or the post-game, uh, the post-game show after the Tigers game, which is, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're, you're one, three and one, and then you play that Tigers game and let's say you don't put out your best lineup and you struggle again. Well, all you've done at that point is you've just lengthened out the time that you've struck. You've, you've hurt your momentum even more and I think turning it around in, in, in League's Cup could end up being a real pivotal moment, I think, in this season. Yeah, on the broadcast, I mean, this is what I heard um, beyond the Taylor Swift that I was listening to during the match. Um, but one of the announcers brought up that I think it was Tom Dutra brought up to Brian that in the past they've used tournaments like the Open Cup to kind of reset their their frame of mind and their confidence because like that's a match that you can win if you put players in good positions and it can send you on a completely different trajectory and they went into leagues cup with a similar mindset and i think it worked because yeah we beat portland 6-2 in portland <laughs> so maybe it worked i, I it, think that it's true go ahead tim it seems like it didn't just help them rebuild their confidence it also served as like okay we did that in league's cup now we're gonna show that it wasn't a fluke or a one-off and they like they just seemed to come into this game with that desire to prove that like slumps over we're the seattle sounders are back right and i think you know to your point this team seemingly can just continue to get better not only can Jimmy Madronda continue to be integrated? Josh Atencio and, you know, for that matter, Danny Leva and 
Reed Baker Whiting and Ethan Doubler are going to continue to get better. We've seen them continue to get better up to this point. And even if there is fixture congestion, I mean, we saw in this game being able to sub Nicoladero into a game for Kellen Rowe, who has served well as a starting player during this last several months. But I mean, he was brought in to be a realistically a depth piece. If Nicoladero goes back to being a starter and your first subs are guys like Kellen Rowe and Will Bruin or right. Freddie Montero, or when Leo Chu gets integrated into the team, he's suddenly a change of pace attacking substitute. Like this team has the ability to rotate guys, especially with five subs being able to be used. Like they're, they can absolutely keep all of the key players fresh through a congested schedule. Like you can start giving Christian Roldan or Nicoladero or Joao Paulo a 15 minute breather at the end of the game, because the guys that you can bring on are not just the kids or someone on a senior minimum salary. They're legitimate impact players. And that was very telling that Will Bruin didn't even get into this game, you know, you, and it, and it, and, it, and I think there was a reason for that. I, I assume it was because, you know, Schmetzer said that they, they wanted Benizé essentially to get some minutes before. It sounds like he has in mind that he is maybe going to start against Dallas. So he wanted to make sure he got some minutes with the Sounders before he just kind of throws them out into the starting lineup. But you got to imagine the Sounders could almost fully rotate. They, they might almost fully rotate the lineup against Dallas. And they would end up with a lineup of something like Will Bruin, Nick Benizé. I don't know, maybe Ladero starts. You know, maybe you could put... Atencio or Leva in the defensive midfield. Maybe they're with Roldan or Jao Paulo. Uh, I would imagine Alex Roldan will start again on the right, but you could put Jimmy Madranda on the left. And you probably, again, you don't probably rotate your whole uh, back line, but you could put in, you can bring in AB Sissoko. You could potentially bring in Nuhu, although I would imagine he'll, he'll come off the bench, but they have all these options of, of rotating players. And, and it doesn't, and it doesn't strike me as like a real step down. They're not punting the game. If they, if they go with a lineup that looks like that, you know, they could rotate six, seven guys and it would still feel like a, a lineup that was, you know, set up to win. And that's what has me so kind of pumped up about this. And it's part of why I was kind of bristling at how many people were really down on this idea that they should be going for the league's cup because of all the six condition. It's like, man, if they're healthy and again, there's a big caveat, right? Like we, we haven't seen this team be healthy, but right now, you know, they've got more, they've got more players than they have starting spot. They, they have more players worthy of starts than they have starting spots to, to go around. So you want that fixture congestion because you want to keep rotating guys in. You want to be able to keep guys fresh. Uh, I think this is a really exciting part of the season. Uh, and it's kind of a new, in some ways, it's a new place for the Sounders to be in because it, they have so many options and we haven't necessarily seen them have this many options in the past. Yeah, the depth is pretty uh, incredible at this point. And to your point, that's why it was important. Even though they struggled, they did get the kids uh, a bunch of time uh, over the early part of the summer. And now most of those uh, guys are now integrated, especially obviously Leva and uh, Atencio, uh, who, you know, based on what uh, Schmetzer said, at least uh, one of them is in line to start. Uh, that's why they brought Leva on, he said, is to get him some right. minutes because he's likely going to have a role to play along with uh, Benizé. And so 
Yeah, um, you know, playing almost two games a week, if not quite two games a week. Uh, they are now, you know, essentially too deep at every position, save maybe right wing back. Uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Uh, and seeing if Ethan Dobler, like right now, it seems like maybe he's the backup. You know, Kellen Rowe had been assumed the backup. I don't know if we can necessarily assume that anymore, but that's, I would say that's the area where I'm, I, I think there's the most question mark, but go ahead. Yeah, Mikey. yeah, for sure. Um, you know, they, def- uh, they were definitely looking at, you know, I think Rowe initially to come in and maybe provide some depth and competition there. Uh, he did get, you know, I think he got one start there or maybe two um, and wasn't uh, particularly effective at that position. So that is where they are certainly light going forward, but, you know, just overall, they've really got uh, everything in front of them and the congestion that they do have now serves their purpose and they're able to now move some pieces around uh, as Tim said give some guys uh, you know a half or 30 minutes off or even a game off uh, you know especially this week there's clearly going to be some rotation whether it's the Dallas game or the Columbus game uh, there's going to be rotation in one of those two games I would suspect maybe they would might you know, try to pull out a little bit more full strength lineup than Dallas because it is a, a uh, conference opponent. You know, not that that means a whole lot. Uh, Dallas is pretty far down in the standings and they lost um, at home over the weekend. But they, they got to think that that's a game they can win, which is, I think, more to the point. And so they may try to uh, go for that, especially after Kansas City put a bit of a beatdown on uh, Dallas um, away uh, this past weekend. Yeah, Dallas, who was looking who had been hadn't lost at home in a year uh, got pretty badly outplayed by sporting Kansas city in that one. But uh, you know, looking back on this one, I'm curious for all of you to give me, what's the one moment that you're going to remember out of this one. Let's start with you, uh, Beth. You have anything that sticks out to you as the moment that you will all, that you may always remember about this game. Can can you come back to me? Sure. Like we're ordering at a restaurant. I'm just not quite ready to think. Absolutely. Anyone have one at top of mind that they, yeah, that they think? I, I, you got to go with Madranda. Uh, even if it was the, the game had essentially been decided at that point. I mean, just for the, the degree of difficulty and just kind of the shock factor. It's just the moment I think you'll really remember uh, from this match as, as a moment. Um, uh, the other players had more, you know, impact on the game. Just, you know, obviously Rudy as winning player of the week, uh, getting them the third goal is, you know, m- uh, clearly more important than Madranda's uh, fifth goal. Uh, but just the nature of the goal was just something that you just don't see. Um, and even with the Sounders, you know, throwing in three goal of the week nominees uh, this uh, this week, still that clearly tops them all. So I, that for me is, is the moment from the match that I'm going to remember. Yeah, I think Madranda's goal is a great call. I know watching that, I saw it float over everyone in the box and I was like, oh no, hopefully like someone can get that and like recycle play and something will happen. And then Jimmy just came in from off screen and launched it. But uh, I think for me, Rui Diaz's free kick goal, just, I think that's the first, free kick goal we've seen from him we haven't seen a ton of them in the last couple years from the sounders and i think especially the context surrounding it and also just the way nico talked about it after where he was like you know part of that is basically saying some of the credit for that goal goes to him because he was the one apparently telling 
Rui Diaz to shoot it, which suggests something about the two of their relationship that just makes me really happy that those two were standing over a free kick and Ladero was like, oh, they only think I'm going to take this. You should just launch it. But also that, you know, Freddie had a brace in the first half. And I know I was talking a lot about, you know, the king of Cascadia and then Raul just had to remind us all that Freddie does not have more Portland goals than he does. And really like reestablishing that there's, there's a new king. The old king is back, but there is still a new king in town. Have you had enough time to think of one? Yeah. Yes, I have a very thorough answer for you. Oh, yes. Um, so nice. fun fact, I did not see Jimmy's goal like during the game. I was tweeting about something. I looked up and I just like saw it bounce off the bar and I was like, did we score again? Like what, <laughs> again? what happened? It's um, a little much. And also I would like to bring up that Brian Schmetzer acted like that was a play that they have rehearsed. Yes, they plan right. on Jimmy Madranda doing the insane. They were like, you know what? This is a play. This is a set play now. Jimmy Madranda is a star. And I like that. I think it's it's gutsy. Good job on them. Um, but my favorite was, I think, Freddie's Brace. I don't know. Just I wasn't a Sounders fan when Freddie was here the first time. But for some unknown reason, anytime he scores a goal, I just get incredibly happy. Like, it's just so It's joy-inducing. It's yeah. really heartwarming to see him succeed where he just, like, he looks so happy. Yeah. It rubs off on everybody. And his and celebration so, after the second one where the he, second one, ah, oh, when he kisses the, the badge, like it's just so good. And he just shows he just like squares up the, the yes, exactly. And it's so good. So yeah. good. But I would like to make an honorary award. Sure. I'm giving an award to yeah. Stephen Cleveland because we have not talked about him and he stood on his head. He was yeah. the reason we were not losing by six goals in the first half. Yeah, so I, I that's actually in Cleveland. Yeah, I was actually gonna go. I was gonna go with Cleveland, not because I like. I'm just gonna use this one because he, like you said, it, he needs to get some, some, uh, some credit for really an impressive performance, especially in the first half. And the one that stands out to me because it's, it's really an impressive save is, uh, they they float a ball to Felipe Mora. He's in behind the defense. He goes to chip. Stephen Cleveland, and Cleveland. It was not a bad attempt at all. I mean, he's full stretched, hands up in the air. I mean, he's got it, you know, it's probably a, a nine foot reach that he's he's up in maybe nine, nine and a half feet foot reach that he's got to get up there and bat it down. That goes in. That's a neat game's tied at that point. You could very see it, easily see it just kind of unraveling. And that was, you know, probably 30th minute or something like that. It's uh, just such a rude save to make. Like, yeah. he it just was... absolutely was like, no. Shutting this one down. Going to jump really high straight up in the air and embarrass you. A truly Dikembe Mutombo style block. Yes. Yes. And then and then he got his own rebound too. He did. Over Bravo. I mean, the whole, or Mora, the whole Mora. play was really impressive. He had a great game. He did. And, you know, the two goals that he gave up, one of them was, you know, I don't I don't actually fault Shane O'Neill at all. He He deflected a lot of that ball. Like he... Like that, that was pretty harsh, actually, that 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 ended up going in because uh, it wasn't like he he got beat and he just kind of it was he, he blocked the shot and uh, and it and it went in. And then the other one, I don't know, you could maybe find some fault with 
where he put the rebound, but there, it wasn't like it was a situation where he could have grabbed it. It was on a, a very well hit uh, strike from, you know, 20 yards out or whatever. And he just parried away, happened to parry it right to George Fuchive. Uh, and he, he kind of just bounces it in. It was actually looked very similar. I don't know if you watched the Tacoma defiance game, but it was very similar to the, the winning goal from the defiance game. Uh, I mean, it was almost exactly the same thing. Uh, but anyway, it was, I just thought Stephen Cleveland really came into his own in this one. It was almost as it like up until, you know, he's started now, I think 10, maybe even more. He started like 12 games. I think this was his 13th start, something like that. And uh, anyway, he, he hasn't done, he hasn't been asked to do a lot. And in fact, I would say that to the degree he's been really tested, he hasn't come up with a whole lot of like, you know, game saving type of, of plays. But this one, I mean, he made probably five saves that were all that easily could have been goals. Uh, you know, he made seven total and they were not easy saves at all. I mean, this was this was by far Steph Cleveland's best performance. I thought, you know, he made a comment after the game that the the Sounders were able to use the energy that the Timbers were generating against them, that he, the Sounders were able to sort of feed off the energy that, as the crowd built up and. And that somehow the, you know, I don't know how much of this is, is uh, retro, you know, uh, retconning, uh, so to speak. But, you know, after, after the Timbers equalized, the Sounders came back and, and dom- you know, dominated the game from that point forward. And, and maybe there's something to that. But I don't know. That's, what, that's what's gotten me really jazzed about this team is that they, they do seem to be reacting to, to uh, you know, like, they seem to be rising to the moment. They, they seem to do that repeatedly. And, and it, and it is one thing that makes me hopeful that losing, you know, we didn't talk about that. We didn't record last week. And, and so we didn't really get to talk about Gonzalo Pineda leaving and Jimmy Traore uh, also going to be leaving. Uh, and I have a guess for you. I'm going to put this out there into the world. I'm saying FC Copenhagen. I, that is based on, uh, mildly educated guesses, but that's, that's the, that's the marker I'm putting down. Let's see if it, if it comes through. But uh, we don't know where Jimmy's going. But the Sounders have already lost, you know, a lot of a lot of smart people uh, this year. And this is a game that I think gave me a lot of hope that that maybe won't be such a big deal. Yeah, and you know, Spencer after T. Gray has said, you know, the messaging was basically like, don't waste the effort that we put yes. out there in the T. Gray's game and then come out and lay an egg against Portland. And now they can kind of take that forward uh, with these next two games and try to get a couple of results against teams that are beatable, uh, even if they're on the road. And, you know, Dallas obviously will be in tough conditions uh, weather-wise and all that stuff. But, yeah, you, you just like where they are now at this point, having come through the rough patch of the season, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't that rough. They still managed to stay in basically second place. Uh, in the West throughout that entire time. And now they are, you know, the kind of the sky's the limit at this point, if they can uh, get something out of these next two games or at least a little bit. Um, And then you got a little bit of a break and then you got uh, Portland coming in and you try to take uh, the season sweep uh, against Portland. And then you're, you're kind of off and running. Yeah. That, you know, it is funny. Like I, I, I couldn't help but think about the, the last time I remember there being a big blowout in a rivalry game like this, I think it was the Red Bulls beat New York City FC 7-0, I think it was. And then I think the next game that they played New York City FC, I, I can't remember who won which one, but 
the team that blew out the other one came back and won the the next meeting. And it's kind of a reminder that like these games are one-off games. Like they don't like there's no inherent momentum that you build from from winning this one. So I it was actually I thought good to hear Brian basically saying like yeah you know I'm gonna we're gonna enjoy this and then I'm gonna get on the bus or I'm gonna get on the plane and I'm gonna start preparing for Dallas. And that's that's kind of like the attitude that you got to have. Uh, you're really only as good as your your last win, and this is a team that seems to appreciate that. So uh, I think that's probably a good place to call this. But uh, thanks to uh, Mickey Turner, Beth Mantle, and Tim Foss. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, and uh, we will catch you next time.